Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largum, a podcast exploring how to find a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living, to support your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and before sharing with you today's conversation, I definitely recommend that you take a listen at a time and in a space where you can really take in the full weight of this conversation which is filled with the real uncensored experiences from Indigenous youth based out of Denver, Colorado. In this episode, I was in conversation with Antonio, Pamela and Junebug, the board members of the Unity Among Nations Youth Council, a youth-led organisation working to address issues affecting their sovereignty, liberty and way of life as Indigenous peoples. Their purpose also includes dismantling systems of oppression, healing themselves and the land through tradition, culture and action to liberate their people from the bondage of colonialism. I can't thank Antonio, Pamela and Junebug enough for all that you shared. These very real and current lived experiences need to be heard and I hope that through listening to the rawness, humanity and honesty, we can do deep reflecting and dedicating ourselves to becoming better allies working to dismantle white supremacy and the insidiousness of systems of oppression. I'm going to stop talking now and share with you the powerful words from Antonio, Pamela and Junebug. Thank you all so much. Super nice to meet you all. Yeah, good nice to meet you. So first of all, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and chat with me. Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here. Awesome. Um, so first, I thought it would just be great if each of you could give a little introduction to yourselves and how you came to working as part of the Unity Among Nations Youth Council. Um, so that was my traditional introduction in my um, indigenous language. My mother's family originally comes from Dulce, New Mexico which is the Hickory Apache Reservation. We come from the Llanero people or the Plains clan of that particular tribe. Um, And my name is Antonio Garcia. I currently chair the board of directors for the Unity Among Nations Youth Council. And um, I came into working with the organization. Well, Junebug and I actually founded it together along with the kind of mentorship of a of a in common mentor and um, wanted to to really create an organization for activist youth to to organize. So that's a little about me. Uh, My name is Pamela Matthews and uh, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. My family is from Pine Ridge Reservation and Standing Rock uh, because I am Hunkpapa and Oglala Lakota. Um, my family was a part of relocation in the 70s, and that was uh, sort of like the last act of assimilation uh, that the United States government did to um, like wipe out our culture, and uh, it worked. So yeah, so I grew up pretty removed from my culture, and yeah, it took me a really long time to like relearn everything. Um, I think that for my grandma, like she grew up in an era where storefront windows had signs that said like, no dogs, no Indians. So it was really hard for her to teach us her culture and teach us our language. So as I got older, um, I realized that I like really wanted to learn. So um, eventually I 
found a really good friend and um, she's also home papa. And we were able to do stuff through our college. So we were able to have like a missing and murdered indigenous woman's walk um, for May 5th. That's when uh, the United States chooses to celebrate it or honor it. And um, eventually I just made other connections and I found other people, like-minded people who wanted to organize. And uh, I found Unity Among Nations Youth Council and I found uh, my next accomplices. So it's been great. That's amazing. And now maybe if we hear from Junebug, a little introduction. Junebug so as a Dine woman, um, that's how I introduce myself. And it's, those are my clans. It's my parents' clans and then my grandparents' clans on both sides. And it's just, we introduce ourselves that way. And when we introduce ourselves to other Navajo people, that's how we kind of figure out how we're related to each other. Um, and just like as communal people, I think that's really important. Like we always have relatives no matter where we go. And how I kind of got into Unity Among Nations Youth Council is, well, I co-founded it with AJ, with our, um, with our nonprofit that kind of sponsors us a bit, um, Herbal Wellness. And me and AJ have been doing community work since high school, mostly since like, I want to say like junior year, we kind of started with Standing Rock um, and that movement. We did a lot of organization within, within our schools and within out like out in the community. Um, and so that's just how we knew each other. And, you know, we've always loved youth work and getting youth together. We were part of many youth councils together. Um, and so now I think it was, now that we're a little older, we were like, let's start our own. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how we got into it. And it's just, I feel like youth have a really strong voice. Um, I I remember talking about it in high school and I remember one time my dad was like, it's because nothing hasn't happened to our generation necessarily, nothing huge, you know, like the generations before us, there was genocide and there was boarding schools, you know, but when we come, when it comes to us, we still kind of have that trauma and we still have that anger. And because nothing huge has happened to us, we're, we're fearless about it. Um, and I think that's what I really love. You know, we're standing not only for ourselves, but for our um, older generations, our grandmas and grandpas. And at the same time, we're fighting for the next generations and for our children and our grandchildren. You know, we want them to live in a world that's sustainable and fair, um, but yeah. Perfect, thank you. So this is the first time I've done a podcast with more than one person. So in terms of who answers the questions, just feel free to let me know whoever wants to answer. And if anyone wants to add anything, feel free to do so. So yeah, the first question I had was just to hear a bit about what your organization is doing, the kind of work that you're involved in. So I'll go ahead and, and, and um, answer this first one and you guys can add anything if I miss anything. So our common mentor who really helped us start this organization owns her own nonprofit or has her own community nonprofit that is called Herbal Gardens Wellness. And it's really about um, indigenous health and well-being, mental health, physical health, and also, you know, really accessing that through our traditions and our traditional foods and medicines. So we also kind of wanted to, to take a little bit of that with us 
in organizing unity among nations youth council and really have strong ties from our organizing perspectives to the land so although we do a lot of different organizing um, i think one of our main goals is to always kind of bring it back to our relationship with the land and how our identity as indigenous people is is tied into that right and how our identity is is tied into those kind of traditional values you know we organize uh against colonialism against imperialism and especially against you know like neoliberalism um which are all really facets of of colonialism and and therefore contributing a lot to the oppression of indigenous people black um people of color you know all of the all of the people at the margins and also contributing a lot to our climate crisis so so that's a, a huge focus for us too yeah definitely i think that uh like our other goals just like being good relatives right so um i think our main goal is to decolonize and we really want to like decolonize the minds and the bodies of like the next generation and uh, I feel like we're doing that through education and um, education of ceremony and, you know, like relearning creation stories, plant medicine um, and language revitalization um, and along with like healthy diets and healthy activities. All of it is youth led. Um, so it's our youth or, or, any organization, sorry. Um, we have a certain age group and we strive to hit the younger kids only because we want somebody to carry this on. Um, sorry, it's my dog. <laughs> it's all youth led. Our goal is to uplift and heal and build community. <laughs> when it comes to our work, you know, there, there are little plants and we just want to watch them grow. And I think that's what I'm most excited for. And, you know, some of our applicants I've known personally um, before we started and I'm just super excited to watch them grow because I know they're amazing people. Um, I, I love our youth. I like from no matter what age, I'm just like, okay, we're going to take care of you. We're going to build you. And I think it's just honestly like a beautiful process. You know, I know like I'm kind of at the end of it. I'm grown. I'm an adult now um, from high school and just watching my own growth. It was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> that was a lot. I've done a lot. Um, and so I'm just so excited to be kind of, kind of on the sidelines and being like rooting people on, um, I mean, yeah, that's just what I'm most excited for is just watching our youth grow and, you know, they're, they're going to go off to college soon and start their own lives. And it's just to be a part of their growth and to be a part of their journey is just an honor in itself, you know, because it's, I know for a fact that our Indigenous youth are going to grow up to be such huge sensations to themselves and to their communities and their families. And just being a part of that journey alone is just amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, yeah, that's great. I'd love to move on to the next question. And you touched on it a little bit there about the impacts of colonialism. And I think a lot of people are still unaware of the extent of destruction that has been caused by colonialism. So it would be great if you could talk a little bit more about the impacts that that has had on Indigenous communities. Yeah. For sure. I think that what people really don't understand is that colonialism and colonial violence didn't end, you know, after the first genocide, you know, 500 or so years ago. It didn't end, end with the genocide of, 
Um, the buffalo, it didn't end with the genocide of our medicines. It didn't end with the genocide of indigenous people. I think what a lot of people don't understand is that colonialism is still a very real thing today. And, you know, colonial violence, although we don't experience it, especially within the United States, as we did upon first contact with Europe, you know, that very direct physical threat type of colonial violence, we are still experiencing colonial violence in different ways um, through policy, for example, right? Through the missing and murdered indigenous women movement, you know, that is really highlighting another form of, of direct physical threat type of colonial violence. And, you know, it's, it's happening across the world. And now what's become kind of a colonial power is the U.S., in going into other countries and destabilizing them and using policy to destabilize these countries and take advantage them of them through their resource. So what we're what we're noticing is that colonialism isn't going away. It's changing forms into, you know, what sociology um, people who study sociology are calling U.S. imperialism or globalization. Right. And those are really propelled by, like I said, capitalism and, and neoliberalism, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, just to go like back to the question, I guess I'm just kind of curious as to like what hasn't been impacted, right? Like everything about our lives is impacted pretty much every day. Like we're under attack every day of our existence, like bottom line, like our languages are dying. Our women are like going murdered and, you know, ending up missing. And um, like our water's poisoned, like it's, just, it's everything, right? And it's like all we're trying to navigate like this colonial society. So it's really like a lot of pressure to like, you know, to live in like our world and then also to try and survive in a colonial state. Yeah, going off of what Pam said, you know, how has it impacted us? I mean, the main goal of it was complete genocide of our people, to kill off our people, our language, our culture, you know, and we've lost both of those things as well as our homes. We were relocated, um, put on reservations, and it's a lot smaller land than what we originally had to begin with. And even going off of that, like, it wasn't our land. We didn't own the land. We don't have anything such as private land. We never did. And, you know, we live with the land. The land gives us life. And that's why we're so connected to it. And especially as indigenous women, you know, we give life as people, as women, and the world, the earth gives us life as well. And it's just, there are so many things. There's a whole list of how colonialism has impacted our lives to this day. You know, U.S. history, education, you don't learn our history. We're mentioned once or twice, and they act as if we're past tense, like we're no longer here. I could honestly go on forever about how it's impacted us in our day-to-day -day lives. Thank you for sharing so openly and honestly about this. I think it's so important that people start recognizing the stark reality of the impacts of colonialism and how it's still continuing today. Highlighting that and getting that message across is so important. So thank you so much for your honesty with that. And I really hope that it will allow people to see through the ignorance that has been perpetuated by a white supremacist society. So thank you. What I thought would be really wonderful to talk about uh, following that is some of the strengths within your indigenous communities and why so many people should respect those practices and 
yeah, become more aware of all of these strengths within indigenous communities? I think what a lot of people need to realize is that indigenous people are still here, right? We're practicing our cultures, we're practicing our traditions, despite colonialism and the effects of colonialism. So although we have this really negative history, we also have a history of endurance and resiliency, right? And revitalization. And we have persisted through that, those 500 plus years of colonialism and colonial violence. And I think what people need to start doing is to start valuing that um, as an aspect of our culture and as an aspect of our peoples, right? And realize that indigenous people were the original stewards of this land, right? We were the original inhabitants. So we have, like I said, a direct tie um, to the land and we don't separate the land from ourselves. It's woven into to our identity. So for those peoples and, and cultures who have lost that connection, you know, those folks are essentially playing catch up to indigenous philosophies, indigenous science. And, you know, we have known how to live sustainably on this planet since time immemorial, since our very first creation stories, right? And we have done that. And there's, you know, a, a pretty popular statistic that's referenced a lot of the time, but 80% of the world's biodiversity is on lands, you know, kind of stewarded by indigenous people. And just like Junebug said, we don't own those lands. We don't see those lands as, you know, kind of another product or, you know, piece of property. We see those lands and plants as a relative, right? And I think that's really the philosophy that many indigenous cultures come from. And I don't really want to generalize indigenous cultures because it is really important that we also highlight the diversity within our cultures, right? It's not just indigenous people and we're all the same. No, we have many different tribes, many different traditions, many different, you know, backgrounds that we come from. That would be like generalizing all Asian cultures from Indian to Japanese, right? No, we're a very diverse um, group of people. And so when other cultures are are not really acknowledging the fact that indigenous people do have these philosophies and, and sciences behind sustainability and playing that kind of catch up and discovering what we've known for thousands and thousands of years. It's almost exactly like when Columbus came and he said that he discovered America. They think that they're discovering these ways of sustainability when indigenous people have been practicing them. Yeah, I think you, I think you answered that. <laughs> like full capacity uh, Sorry. I, don't, I don't think I have anything to add but that's okay <laughs> yeah, that was great. I'm like ready to go to Monica or something mm. yeah no what you said there just really highlights the egotism within the colonial mindset and how this idea of economic development has assumed that that's better than and what we're coming to realize now is that actually that's been the most destructive thing and what indigenous communities have been practicing that has been the sustainable way of living and it shouldn't be that now it's like oh we've discovered this sustainable solution no it's always been there um so thank you for that 
And when looking kind of at you guys' website and having a look at the work that you're doing, um, you highlight how the Indigenous youth are facing so many more challenges and social issues compared to maybe generations who have come before. So if you would like to highlight some of those specific challenges that youth are facing, um, that would be really great to hear. Um, I think one would be kind of education. You know, not a lot of Indigenous youth go on to education, or higher education. Um, this is so annoying. <laughs> I'll go ahead and, and speak a little on this. I think specifically in the case of of today and what's happening with you know the changing issues of today well first of all of course it's it's the climate crisis right we are experiencing you know detrimental effects um due to the neglect of previous generations and you know, ultimately industrialization and, and capitalism and the effects of that over the course of the past few hundred years, right? And I think we also face as a whole a, a growingly more cunning and covert form of racism, of colonialism. And, you know, if we think about that specifically in the perspective of the United States, it may not seem that way because of the previous administration, um, it might have seemed like a, a lot more, you know, um, direct form of, of racism and colonialism and white supremacy within our country. But if we really think about that on a larger scale, on a global scale, you know, we are seeing that within many different countries, um, that covert form of colonialism where we think we're making progression, but really it's, it's, you know, kind of just hidden, hidden racism, hidden white supremacy, right? And I think that we might, you know, even see that in the coming administration within the United States, right? Ultimately, we live in a system built on the backs of black indigenous people of color, right? We are, are, are built on a system that has stolen from indigenous peoples, stolen the lives and cultures of black indigenous people of color, right? And you cannot decolonize a system that was built on colonialism, right? That was built on colonization. And I think that that is something that the youth of today are really starting to realize and starting to organize around. But yeah, so I was going on about education. So indigenous youth and education, you know, we're, first of all, we're not learning our history in our classrooms, you know, going on US history. It's again, we just are a past tense and it's not the accurate um, history of our people. It's from a white man's perspective. It's their victory. Um, but going on to higher education, there is kind of, I feel like a lot of indigenous youth facing this challenge aren't scared of it, which is a great thing, um, but it's just a thing of, it's uncommon ground for us. You know, a lot of our older um, generations didn't go to college and didn't go to higher education, mostly from the trauma of boarding schools. You know, you think of some of our elders think of schooling and they think, oh my God, okay, they're not gonna teach you your language. They're not gonna um, want you to succeed. They're gonna assimilate you. You're gonna turn into a white person almost. and. So when it comes to higher education, it's our, some of our older generations just didn't go to school. They didn't go to college. 
And so when it comes to us, we didn't, we didn't have that direct impact of supporting school. And so for us, we're a little less scared, we're a little less fearless when it comes to higher education. But, you know, because of our uh, older generations that didn't attend, a lot of it's like, we're trying to figure it out for ourselves. And, you know, that was, that was me, my, I, my parents didn't go to college and I figured everything out on my own. And sometimes it's really scary. And even going to schools, most of the schools are predominantly white. Um, and I was thankful enough to attend a school that had a pretty big population of native students. Um, but it was still just kind of like in the air. Of, I still got that judgment of, oh, she's going here for school because she's native you know, like she's getting free education and it's, I didn't get free education. I still owed $13,000, you know, and it's just that other judgment and racism against Native students who are going to school and we're just trying to get our education. You know, we're trying to better ourselves so we could go home and help our people. And so I think that's another kind of big challenge that we face and higher education by itself is really hard to face. And when you're indigenous and you're only brown kid in your business class, like it's, it's terrifying, it's scary, it's hard to speak up and, and trying to tie like your indigenous roots to what you're learning as well, because it does come from a very white perspective. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It really ties into what you're saying about how this whole system has been built upon the foundations of white supremacy. So everything is formulated in that way. So even within education, there's that fear of the dilution of your traditions and your culture because it's not being communicated through the education because it's coming through this one white narrative, which is just so diluting and so problematic in so many ways. So in terms of with the Youth Council as a whole, what are some of the goals that you're hoping to achieve in the future? Um, so I think that I really just want to see our communities thrive, right? And I want to create um, an environment um, within the council that the next generation is able to like pick up and um, like protect and continue to do the work. So I really just want to see like our native youth um, really step into positions of power where they uh, feel liberated and where they can make the changes or be the changes that they want to see in their communities, whether that's, you know, um, attacking, you know, like a whole MMIW pandemic, or if it's, you know, moving into healthy, healthy lifestyles, or, you know, educating teacher teachers on how to be, you know, less biased in the classroom, things like that. Right. So, or even like plant medicine, you know, I really just want to see, you know, our youth be able to like grow flowers and, you know, be able to, you know, really take those and turn it into medicine, like the way that we have been doing through previous generations. So that's really like all I wish to see, just like our little native babies grow and blossom into adult natives and be able to, you know, take over. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Do any of you have anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same for me. I, I love Indigenous youth and just seeing them grow into these powerful, strong, independent people who could stand up for themselves and stand up for their elders for someday their little ones. Um, and fight for their future confidently and know that they could do it. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see them blossom. I mean, Pam was talking yesterday about there are little plants <laughs> and we're ready to water them, put them in the sun and watch them grow and just become these beautiful things. And it's just, that's all we want is just for indigenous 
youth to be confident in themselves and their traditions and their culture and to help heal themselves and return heal their communities wherever they are and wherever they go home to. And I think in that same vein, you know, we want to really create a space of learning, a, a space, you know, to grow, to kind of absorb knowledge and and be free of, of judgment and full of that opportunity to learn. But I think we're also, you know, because we organize across such a, a large age range of youth, um, we're also kind of organizing out of that perspective of intergenerational learning, right? So although we're all youth-led, youth-organized, we still have advisors from our community. We still are open to that advice and, and mentorship and, and kind of guidance that they, they provide, like our elders, and, you know, also accept that same kind of reciprocal learning from, you know, youth all the way down to 13, right? And really trying to create that space of of traditional knowledge and the way that we traditionally learn is intergenerationally. It's a reciprocal form of learning. We learn and grow and, you know, blossom just as much as, you know, the youth that are younger, you know, are doing. So it's, it's really kind of a, that give and take to kind of complete that circle, right, of, of gratitude. Super nice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Something I also wanted to touch upon a little bit is we are still currently in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and I feel like so many people were saying we're all in the same boat with this but we're completely not and in the same way environmental racism is a huge systemic problem and that factors into health and that factors into the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and I know that you guys have been talking about how you've been supporting Native communities during this time. So it would be great to hear you talk a little bit about what that has involved and how COVID-19 has impacted on your communities. For sure. I think that the pandemic is, is, is a huge kind of telling of the disparities and inequities within our healthcare system here in the United States and, you know, healthcare systems across the world and how they disproportionately are, you know, disproportionately service um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, right? And how we are affected by health issues at such higher rates because of, you know, especially in the case of Indigenous people, and probably the number one factor is access, is the access to healthcare. Um, the access to mental health care, the access to physical health care. And what we've been doing as a, a youth council is kind of cr- trying to create an openness around COVID-19, making sure that, that folks feel okay and open to share mental health struggles, you know, specifically being really open within our, our youth council, but also, you know, providing really hard tangible resources to our community, right? So we've done a little bit of, of grocery delivery, medicine delivery, delivering those to elders and those who are immunocompromised and, and can't really access those things in this time, you know, from our urban communities all the way down to, um, to our, our reservations, right? We recently distributed over 4,000 masks and 22 gallons of hand sanitizer along with 
other miscellaneous kind of cleaning supplies and, and PPE and distributed that between the, our urban community within Denver, Colorado and, you know, elders and youth within that um, community and also our reservation communities were, were looking to next, you know, donate that, that kind of equipment and, and gear to the Navajo Nation. And we've already donated to the Hickory Apache Nation. So, so we're really trying to, to provide more equitable access to supplies so necessary in the, in the midst of this very deadly pandemic that's disproportionately affecting indigenous people. So I think uh, just to like piggyback, uh, I think it's it's definitely very hard for our communities because there's, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of access to uh, like resources, right? So I actually work in a hospital and I do COVID relief. So every time I go in, you know, I, I'm always working with COVID patients. So what I'm seeing a lot is that um, uh, I work in um, occupied territory of New Mexico. So um, what's happening is reservations from all across New Mexico have to be flown to a like sister hospital in sort of like the major city in New Mexico, which is Albuquerque. So uh, a lot of the times, like a lot of my patients are coming from different reservations or they're coming from, you know, different cities to receive care because the care that they have in their cities isn't adequate because they don't have the resources or the money or the funding to, you know, help pe keep these people alive, right? So at the end of the day, like, it's hard. It's very hard for me to go into work and to see like our elders who are passing, right? I'm watching them die in front of me. And I, I have no idea what to do because these are, these are people who carry so much knowledge and so much power because they're, you know, they're language keepers, they're seed keepers. They're people who, you know, who have had entire lives, right? And it's, and they're all being taken away because of this pandemic and also because of the inequity within the states, within the equity, within the government, because they didn't have the access to or the resources to really care for our people. Right. So, you know, Navajo Nation was one of the nations that was impacted the most by COVID-19. You know, we had the most deaths and, you know, and I think that not to enter into any like sort of oppression Olympics, right? By saying that we're more impacted or less impacted than the other impacted community, but we definitely lost the most language keepers and we definitely lost the most people with knowledge to carry on to our next generations, which is something that we've seen throughout generations and throughout other pandemics, you know, since, the, since 1492, right? Like this is something that we've had to live with and that's something that we continue to live with, right? So this causes so much like intergenerational trauma that we are suddenly going to have to like live through again, right? Like, you know, I see so many nurses and so many doctors who, you know, are having to deal with PTSD because of like COVID, right? So now this is something that we're gonna have to heal from as a community within, you know, indigenous reservations. And this is something that like, we're gonna have to, you know, look towards, you know, for decades, right? So it's just kind of, it's definitely very hard. And it's definitely, I think that it's times like these where like we really need to stick together and we really need to um, like bond and help support each other because obviously our government is going to help us, right? Because I think Navajo Nation, right? I think during like the height of the pandemic, they weren't sent anything. They were sent in body bags. Like bottom line, like that's what happened. We were sent in body bags because like they already knew, right? They already knew that like we were going to be the ones that were hit the hardest. So they didn't help us. They just said, okay, Here's how you pack up your people, which is disgusting, right? Like this is a society that we're living in where like we almost live in like third world countries, 
right? And then suddenly, but we're supposed to be like, you know, top of the line. We're supposed to be like first throughout the world, but this is how we treat our own. This is how we treat our people. Thank you for sharing that, Pam. Um, but yeah, I'm going off of Pam, it's the Navajo Nation was hit hard. You know, I, I live by the Navajo Nation. I'm from the Navajo Nation. Um, and it is, it was pretty hard. And just as, you know, we, I think about it as, you know, we're communal people on top of that. You know, we, we'd like to see our family. We have big families. You know, I, I have a bunch of relatives that are not related to me whatsoever, but that's my uncle, that's my auntie, and I want to go see them. And I think that was one thing that was kind of hard is just staying home, you know, not going and visiting family. That was kind of hard. And then um, I think some things as like community, COVID relief, um, outside of this organization on my own, I've been doing, um, delivering water, hauling wood. And um, those are just things that people needed. And, you know, some elders, they don't have their own rights to go haul wood by themselves. And usually most of the time they're their sons would, but during this pandemic, you can't go see your mom because she's high risk, you know? And so as someone who was out of the family and who was, um, who was, you know, being safe, say taking safe precautions, hand sanitizing, wearing a mask, wearing gloves and delivering water and don't come out of your home. I'm going to fill your barrels for you. I'm going to drop off barrels, brand new, clean, barrels you know don't touch anything I'm just gonna drop it off and we're gonna go because this is what you need to live um and then even just I think as communal people it's like without hesitation we'll help our people and you know going off of what Pam said you know the government's not gonna help us they're not gonna do anything so it's up to us we have to go step up and we have to go help our elders we have to do what we can to keep them alive you know we have to take precautions we have to stay safe and we have to not go see our grandma for her safety because you know, once, what if she does get it, you know, those, those are the things they, all she's going to get is a body bag and that's not what we want, you know? And so, you know, just taking care of our own people, like we have to do it because nobody else is going to. And especially as youth, like we're still strong. Um, we have a stronger immune system. Um, I think as res kids in general, we have a strong <laughs> immune system. We're just, we're a little rowdy. We played in the dirt when we were small. We could do it. You know, that's why we don't get sick that often. <laughs> um, and so I think that's one thing. And then, you know, another thing how COVID impacted the Navajo Nation was for some reason, our Navajo Nation president decided to be and take part of a vaccine um, test. Basically, they were willing to test their vaccinations on us you know, as with, as if we were guinea pigs. And that upset a lot of people in our community because that's not what we're here for. You know, like you should be helping us. We're not like guinea pigs or anything like that. And it's just, that was a whole nother thing of what the heck, we're people. You know, like we should be testing this on other things or find something else. But it was just like, again, I think it kind of went to the conversation of like the Navajo Nation's just kind of giving out. So I might as well just use them while we have a, like a few left. Um, but yeah. Thank you all for sharing that. I mean, it does just leave you speechless because there will be people listening right now who I'm sure were aware of the social inequities on a certain level, but hearing your lived experiences right now, it does highlight the sheer social inequities that exist and there aren't even the words to explain how disgusting and horrific it is. It's just, yeah, 
I want to thank you for sharing so openly about something that is a very traumatic thing for you to be talking about. So thank you for that. Something that I would love to talk a little bit on now is anyone listening to this who wants to support in any way that they can, what can people do? That's a good question. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that if people were to, you know, send like donations that would go towards PPE or if people were to send us PPE or if people were to send us water, right? Because another thing that I also wanted Junebug to touch on a little bit is like why you're, why you're having to haul water and why you're having to haul wood, right? And I just want you to like touch on that a little bit because I think people don't understand like the ways that we actually live. And since because you're like on the ground and doing that work, I think that, you know, you should answer that real fast. Um, one thing is, so a lot of our people don't have running water. They don't have electricity in their homes here on the reservation. And it goes on to what Pam said earlier, we're living in third world conditions, you know, um, with the running water, it's just sometimes we have to drop off like five barrels because if they need something to wash their hands with first and more important, like most important, you know, during this pandemic, they need to wash their hands and you need water to do that. And just like day-to-day living, dishes, cleaning yourself. Um, and then with hauling wood, it's just a lot of people, that's how they keep their houses warm. And especially during this winter conditions, it's snowing outside, it's getting colder, you know, they have to stay warm in their homes. It's just so crazy to think that so many people live without electricity and without water. And like my mom grew up like that. My mom didn't have electricity. She didn't have running water. She lived honestly in the middle of nowhere. And for the most part, the people that I deliver to do live in the middle of nowhere. They have, and you know, there's no communication. There's no cell phone service, anything like that. That's just how they live. And it's hard to get community updates and COVID updates when you don't have any service or you don't have any internet or anything like that. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop now. No, thank you. I just really wanted you to highlight that because I think that that's another thing that people don't realize. It's like a lot of our reservation communities live without, you know, like she was saying, like water and electricity. Like these are basic necessities that I feel like every other household in America and the States have. And when you don't have this, it's like, you know, like how, how is this happening? So to go back to like donations and things like I think that, um, you know, we would accept anything, right? Like, um, like chainsaws so that way we can chop more wood for our elders or PPE or water, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and if folks are wanting to reach out, whether it be to donate or to collaborate or just to ask more questions, they can reach us through our website, which is www.unityamongnations.org or email us at admin at unityamongnations.org. That's A-D-M-I-N at unityamongnations.org. Great, thank you. And I'll attach all that in the show notes for the episode as well so that people can do that. Um, Thank you so much. And we are still living in a world where people do not have access to what should be basic human rights, access to clean water, access to healthy food. All of these things should be a human right and we are still living in a world where humans are not receiving the rights that we all deserve and that just highlights the sheer inequity that still exists so thank you the final question that i have that i always ask on the end of this podcast is how you find your little bit of largum and i'd love to hear for you what that is for me i think that Indigenous peoples are the masters of homeostasis, of balance, you know, of reciprocal 
gratitude and that give take relationship that we have with all of creation, right? Um, because we see all of creation as relatives. I like to say in relation with creation, you know, because because we have all of these relatives that we see as equals, right? And so we engage in that reciprocal relationship, that give take relationship. And, you know, you don't take without first offering, without first, you know, giving. So I think that that my kind of little bit of, of lagum would probably be, you know, the land. It would be that that, you know, kind of focus of of my work, of my life, you know. And that's from, you know, being on the land on, on the back of a horse or, you know, riding down the highway in, you know, just the, the desert plains of New Mexico or, you know, working out in the garden or composting, right? And and living in that way, you know, in that reciprocal relationship with the land and also my community and, and living in that way with my human relatives, my people, right? And I, I would also say, you know, the work really provides a lot of balance and stability and grounding in my life. So, you know, like indigenous anarchy, the destruction of, you know, white supremacy and colonialism, I think that is what really feeds me. Um, so I think that for me, finding balance kind of comes within, um, I guess like in a, a couple different aspects, I feel like this, there's like no one right answer. So um, I think for me, it's about um, really like going back to like my culture, like really connecting back through like ceremony and through prayer and, you know, practicing that. And um, when I step out into colonial societies, like really taking that, those prayers and, you know, like those feelings that I have through ceremony into colonial societies, because it's very hard to lose once you're out there. So I think like, just like keeping that in mind, right? with like the work that I do every day and um, like working within like Western medicine, like trying to find, you know, like that balance, trying to find, I guess, like our ancestors teachings and like maintaining that while also just working within like new medicine. And I think that I also find balance within um, like helping our elders and then also going back and then, you know, giving that same, that, those same knowledges, those same teachings to our youth. Right. And then watching that, like go full circle that always makes me really happy and you know I always I just love seeing like little native babies learn so much and I also really love when um when I can see elders you know or when I can speak to them like over zoom or over facebook or over you know phone calls and I can you know learn from them and I can take their teachings and pass them on thank you when I seen the question first thing I thought of was um hajon, which is a Navajo word it means beauty it means balance and you know beauty in front of you behind you beside you and just constantly walking in that balance within yourself and within around you um so like within just taking care of yourself holistically all of you not just physically but physical mental spiritual emotionally you know all of those things need to be in balance so you could somehow manage to live in this colonialism world right um and and then like taking care of things around you. Like before we take it, you know, we make an offering, we say thank you for giving us this medicine to take care of ourselves. And we do the same thing with food, you know, like we pray to our pray, pray to our relatives and we say thank you. Thank you for feeding our family today. You know, this means a lot and this is what we're gonna do for you. We're gonna pray for you and 
you know, what we need to do for you because you give a lot to us and, you know, never taking too much either. You know, there's that balance of like when I was taught to have med plant medicine and to, you know, harvest plant medicine, you never take too much. You take just what you need and that's it. Um, and then just within ourselves, like Pam said, ceremony, you know, that's an important way to take care of yourself, self spiritually pray every morning, you know, as Navajos, um, we like to pray in the morning to the sun. And one thing that's a part of that is, I think for some of us, most of us is, you know, running too, you know, as some of my ceremonies was like my becoming a woman ceremony. I had to run every single morning towards the sun. And every day I had to run further and I had to pray while I do that. And I was, it was four days of doing that. And it was, it's become something that's really important to me. I run every morning and I try to wake up early with the sun. And, you know, that's when I was taught like, the holy people are out right now. They're up and they're waking up and it's time for you to wake up and pray with them and start a good day. And, you know, I just think of Hajon and that's one thing that I like to keep in the back of my head is just, am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? And what can I do to help myself physically? Cause I'm doing a lot for myself emotionally, you know and it's just constantly trying to find that balance. Amazing, thank you so much. And thank you all so much for your honesty and highlighting the stark realities that we all need to hear. Um, and I think anyone listening is going to have so much to reflect upon. Thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a good talk. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us. We appreciate the platform. Thank you so much again to Antonio, Pamela and Junebug. I'm so grateful to each of you for expressing so openly the uncensored realities of what you and your communities are forced to face daily. I really encourage those of you listening to deeply reflect on what you've heard and take actions in your own life to support their work and be dedicated to dismantling these dehumanising, colonial and incredibly destructive systems of oppression that are destroying so many lives. We need to remember that not taking action means we are complicit in upholding oppressive systems, so we have to take action, show solidarity and advocate for collective liberation. And just as a reminder, you can find Unity Among Nations Youth Council at unityamongnations.org and all the links to their work and how to get in touch will be in the show notes also. If you have any thoughts or reflections you'd like to share on this episode, you can contact me via email on a littlebitoflargum at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at a little bit of largum. Also, please share this episode with family and friends to spread these incredibly important messages. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.